Welcome to the Ralph Moore Podcast. Gain the leadership advantage as Ralph pulls wisdom from his bag of over 50 years experience in planting and leading multiplying churches. Our goal is to help you live as a leader you'd want to follow. You'll learn about making disciples and planting churches, but beyond that, you'll gain practical wisdom about subjects like how to manage your team, handling difficult people, pulling a congregation off a growth plateau, and even money management. Hi, and welcome to the podcast. Today, I have some very unusual people with me. Uh, They are really longtime friends. They are nearly as old as I am. Mm, Actually, kind of lagging me by quite a few years, but they're up there. They got gray hair and a lot of wisdom. And they're doing a pretty incredible thing with some real, real young people. And I want to end up talking about that. But I, I want to talk a little bit about their history, our history together. And I think this is a podcast that's going to challenge you. And it, for some of you, you're thinking, well, I'm over the hill. Not much more is going to happen. We'll join the over the hill gang. And if you're really young and you're trying to reach young people, then learn from some people with wisdom how to reach young people. Uh, because they're doing it, and they're doing it really well. And so I want to welcome my friends, Ron and Patience Borsma. Uh, Just hi, and welcome to the podcast. Hi, Ralph. Hi, Ralph. How you doing? Good morning. So you want to start out? We uh, uh, we both started with Hope Chapel back at Van Parker days. Um, you want to share with that a little bit? Um, sure. Uh, we started attending Hope Chapel because of my meeting and working with Rob McWilliams on the uh, Benjamin Parker's um, community-based management uh, parent group with teachers and principals and such. And one of the things that really struck me during those meetings was whatever Rob said that the church would do, they would do it. And I'd never met any church organizations that worked with ordinary people and partnered with them really struck me and I wanted to know more and see if it could be a church that we could go to because I believed our children needed God because I wanted them to grow up to be like him. Mm -hmm. And he had been raised in a Christian home, whereas I had not. So after we uh, got involved in Hope Chapel, um, right away we're invited to stack chairs and do things like that. Uh, We did a children's church. We figured, I mean, the Sunday school, we figured we could learn uh, the if we could learn it, we could teach it <laughs> for patients, especially. It was it was at my level of understanding who God was, what the Bible was all about, and I they put me Lisa Kai put me in the nursery with the babies, and that's exactly where I needed to be to learn about God. Yeah. Moving up from there, we uh, moved up the hill, and patients uh, was very involved in in things up there, and eventually. Uh, Ralph invited her to join staff as uh, associate pastor, organi- running the gateway ministry as well as the uh, prayer ministry. Wait, wait, wait! Before we get into that, because um, because that that gets a little more formal. I I remember things like when we were building out the property of the hill. Some people don't know what Ben Parker is. Benjamin, okay. is it, it's Re- Reverend Benjamin, Benjamin Parker right. Elementary School in Kaneohe, Hawaii. Right. And they actually named a public school after a, a, a missionary from about 150 years ago. We thought it was a privilege that we could worship there for 17 years. And 
I, I know that one of the ways that we connected with you guys, you were walking by on Sunday mornings, listening right. to the music as you go for your Sunday walks. But as we were building out the property, uh, you know, we had made some offices with office trailers and we had shipping containers all over the place with material, building material. And suddenly there shows up a 40 foot shipping container and nobody knew where it came from. We're all sitting around staff going, who put that there? These things cost several thousand dollars. So it didn't just appear all by itself. And when we finally traced down the culprits, it was you two. And tell us what you were trying to do at first with that container. Well, my wife gets ideas and I make them happen. So why did we get the container? Oh, because we, we were doing a, um, like a, how can I say, like a Savers or a Goodwill or something like that. But not that we were going to be selling things. We, it was an outreach for the homeless to collect um, recyclable, reusable appliance, clothing, furniture, whatever we could store. Um, and then we would open up the, um, it was called the gleaning. We, we had uh, so much people wanting to donate things because, you know, they knew we worked with the homeless and the people underprivileged. And we're getting so much things. We got the trailer, fixed that up. And then there were people that needed to do community service. Mm -hmm. So that was a way to bring them up to the church, to volunteer, work with the, in the trailer, and get their hours for community service and get to know people at the church. Yeah, yeah. And that worked yeah. until the swap meet people found you and started to realize they could get things for free. Yeah, yes. mm -hmm. <laughs> and then they they go sell them at the swap meet. So yeah. then after that, in my memory, if I have this right, you you guys ended up at the village down the hill uh, right. because of contacts you had made through the ministry that you were doing up the hill. Uh, explain that because that morphed into um, a, a, a micro church that was that you guys were leading. Tell us yeah. about that one. Uh, the village is a low-income housing project, um, and we got to know some of the couples that came up to Hope Chapel. So we got close with them, started doing many churches at their homes, and uh, patients saw the need for the children in the village. And you can cover that. Uh, so we started an after-school program, Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Um, and as we continued to work with the after-school program, we saw a need for opening up a food bank there. So through Augie Orlandes, who had a 5013 already in place, the Joyful Ministries, he passed it on to us. And we started a food bank there, a once-a-month food bank distribution, which eventually we turned over. After three years, we turned it over to the residents, and the residents ran it. And part of that was the residents would come to get their monthly, you know, whatever it is that we had. But there was prayer ministry going on at the same time. When you went through the line, collected your stuff at the end of the line, there was a prayer team that would lay hands and pray for people, whether it was a job, quit smoking, finances, uh, kids, rebellious kids. It was a really, really in-reach um, that had depth to it and um, taught the children you had given us one of your old computers and I taught the children how to produce a monthly newsletter that would go out to all the homes in the villages. So there was a lot of skill building for the younger children from um, eighth grade down to kindergarten. We after, had them. After school, they'd come, finish their homework, get a, get a meal, and then we have activities and do Bible study for mm -hmm. them every day. And mm -hmm. they were there. Yeah. So really, it, it, at, at that really, point, at that point, you were really doing a micro church with, with people in the village. Yes. Right? 
Yep. I, I should yeah. I should take a moment and just explain when when we'll interchangeably in this conversation use words mini church and micro church. A mini church was really um, a midweek uh, gathering of people in the church. We I remember the most we ever had were about 105 mini churches, and it would people would respond to the to what they'd heard the Lord say on the weekend in the Bible teaching. When we say micro church. It looks a lot like a mini church, but what I mean, you could think of it as a house church. It might not meet in a house, might meet at the beach, might meet in a court, food court at the mall, uh, but it's autonomous. It's usually led by people in the church or people who have deep roots in, in the church that we led. But then it, it's freestanding. We're not expecting those people to become part of our church program. Uh, we're trying to take the gospel to them in the world that they live in. So, so move us from the villages to how you got involved and you began to do a, a lot of um, addictive care, I, I'm going to call it. People who, who, are, who are struggling with alcohol, maybe sex problems, whatever they're doing. Um, we had something kind of going. All of a sudden, you guys are running it. And there's, what, 20 some odd groups just mm -hmm. Uh, yeah. kind of materialized out of almost nowhere. I mean, it took a five or six months, but this thing just exploded. We're talking in this podcast a lot about church multiplication, making disciples who make disciples. You guys did it in ways that, I mean, we were all teaching this and you scared the rest of us. You're going so fast. Tell us about that. <laughs> well, um, again, that's the patience was overseeing what together, but just uh, the, the lead at the gateway ministry was covered you want to give us some of that? Yeah. Well, what how it uh, came alive was you had taken me to a pastor's conference where I met Ted and his, Ted Roberts, I think, and his wife from East Hill Grisham. And he had um, turned me on to a ministry that they were doing calling Healing Touches. So it was how to develop leadership, uh, leaders for our various, whether it was Alcohol, PTSD, divorce, death and dying, um, anger management, adult children of dysfunctional families, um, just a whole host of, I think there were nine different. Um, I think more than that, we're, yeah. we're, when a need would arise, we'd feel like create a group of uh, yeah. teaching facility mm -hmm. to, to help the people deal with whatever the situation was. So, you know, it was a 12 week course of how to grow up leaders. And by the time the 12 weeks were over, you could see who was ready and who was willing to lead up a group. And it just, it, they were excited. They wanted to do it. Um, and yet sometimes there were some failures. Um, but that was all right. You know, we all are not, we're just ordinary people mm -hmm. who care for other people. Once we got the healing, we wanted to help others. That's what it was all about. About that time, we were, uh, going to build an addition on our home. So my wife designed it so that we would build a, uh, about a 24 by 30 room, mm -hmm. 10 foot ceilings. That would be our church, our in-home church, she called it. And mm -hmm. we would have groups over here. Every Sunday. 20, 25, 30 people uh, every Sunday. And sometimes we wouldn't want to leave till like one in the morning. Four o'clock in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> but it's and so, so this is after you've been in, thoroughly involved in Hope Chapel Kanyoi yes. Bay. Right. And I want to point out that this is a middle-class church. We were yeah. extremely multi-ethnic. Mm -hmm. We're also extremely middle-class. But we're, we're, I think people characterize churches 
that are reaching out to the homeless or reaching out to people with addiction problems as kind of, well, that's for the, the poor churches or the, the, the churches in a specific geography. We, we were, uh, uh, yeah. for one, we weren't in a very even helpful geography. We were up on a hill above the city and you had to drive to get there, which wasn't helpful. We lost, we moved from the public school to the to the building that we ended up in, the, the land, not the building because it was a tent. We lost the people who came on the buses and we tried to bus them up the hill and that didn't work. And uh, so the, the, it wasn't the best location for doing this, but you're doing. And um, that's when I started teasing you guys about having 36 hours in your day while the rest of us have uh, just 24 because you're running a business you're doing this stuff all, all on Sundays. You're you're coaching all these people because not all the groups are meeting in your house. Uh, th- this thing is just exploding, and I I just always commend you guys because I talk about you a lot when I travel around. But I I commend you guys for your heart, your dedication for the Lord. Uh, hardships. I I know that you've come across some people who who give you grief over the ministry you were doing in the church. Um, very, very sadly, there, there was one person in particular that caused a lot of us a lot of grief, and and um, that's not all over yet either. Uh, so not everything, if you're listening to this podcast, not everything goes all sweet and roses. But I also remember at, at around, well, we were still in Ben Parker. We were still in the public school. And my wife and another woman named Bev Wong had started uh, a small um, tutoring ministry. And Rob McWilliams expanded that thing so that it was kind of reaching into all of the Honeyway public schools. But the, the deal was that we would get people from our church to go in and tutor kids that were falling behind in reading. And then uh, we couldn't talk about Jesus in the classroom or anything like that. <clears throat> but we would uh, instruct the people to pray that you'd meet the, the people that, you know, the kid that you're coaching, um, that you'd meet his family during the week, maybe at the mall, wherever it was. And so one Sunday we were leaving church. It was late. We'd had three services in the morning. My wife and I are leaving. And this lady with her five children uh, come walking through the campus of, of Ben Parker School. They were taking a shortcut. And one of them was the little kid that my wife had been tutoring. And so we got to know the mom. And somehow we introduced her to you guys. And I think she ended up living in your house for a while. How did what, What's that all about? Um, she had she and her five boys were going through some really tough times. Um, they were living out in Kahalu and was going to lose their um rental that they were in, and they stayed with us until they found a new place. Um, and it was a very tough family, very much um domestic violence. Yeah. It was a very scary time. Um. But we became we became pretty good friends actually, and we were we were enemies at one time. And you <laughs> you really hit it, Ralph, when you say we just do ordinary we ordinary people. You, it's not always roses. There are hard times. There are good times. And the Lord was constantly molding us, yeah, Dad, mm-hmm. to be able to have the heart to reach uh, the unreachable of which this woman. And her five boys, she lives on another island right now. She's doing really well. She's still involved in her church. And her children are doing well. All the five boys are doing well. But it was you guys that brought them to the Lord. Well, Yeah, he brought them to us. He brought them to you, to Ruby, reaching out and tutoring the young boy. And And, um, I work with special ed kids uh, in the DOE. 
and it kind of it gave me a um, door, an open door to work with all of the children because I think almost all of her children were special needs, um, and I knew how to work with them. Wow, that's really good. Mm-hmm. So, so roll us over into the prayer ministry and and how that thing developed and. This was, I think, if I remember right, and some of these things I'm getting old and I get foggy, but I think this all, this part actually started once we were up on the hill in the campus that's now called Anchor Church, but Hope Chapel County Bay in, in the in the tent that we use for church, right? Am I right? I want to do a real quick testimony about how we were starting at the church. And real quick testimony, keep this or not, but um, when Patience was called to work at Hope Chapel, she was currently working at a hospital, making pretty good money. And churches, of course, don't pay that much. So uh, we, I was doing good. at a stable job. So she we decided, oh, good, go ahead. She quit her job and started the church. Well, uh, uh, three months later, my company, I had worked for 27 years, got bought out, and I lost my job. Mm-hmm. So that was pretty darn scary. Like, Lord, you want us to do this? What's, what's the deal? You know, we're freaking out here. <laughs> Without any experience, I started my own business and it's 25 years later and God has blessed us every year that we've been in business. So we were able to help people with their rent or food or whatever the need is. Tuition. Uh, tuition. Tuition. Yeah. <laughs> things like that. So God's really blessed us. Made, it's made it possible for us to do what we do. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, um, and as far as the prayer ministry, it actually began back at Parker ah. with Auntie Lala. I was a greeter at the front door, and she came up to me one day and said, come, come, we go pray, we go pray. Because she, Auntie Lala, Auntie Ludi, and there was another lady, oh, what's her name, the one that just passed away? Auntie Joe. Auntie Joe. Joe Hill. Yeah, they would sit in the back of the service, and they would be praying while you were preaching. And that's how I became involved with these women who pulled me over to start praying with them. And Auntie Lala would just keep pushing me, pray, pray, pray. And then one day you said, Patience, you need to um you need to do more with the prayer ministry or something about the prayer ministries. I says, okay, I'll get some people to increase, you know. And we set up a children's desk that you would find in classroom. And I didn't know what I was doing. All I know is Ralph had asked me to pray during the services. So I took newsletter that you guys would print every week. And I would have how I help people to become a part of the prayer ministry, I give them the newsletter and say, you're going to pray over everything that's in this newsletter, letter, even down to Perfect, the address. Yeah. No, it would be the story. the story. It would be the editor's name. It would be the pastor, the name of the sermon, every question, every event that was going to be held front to back. And that's how I started teaching people how to pray during the services. Wow. <laughs> so when we got up to... um Hope Chapel on the Hill, we had a host of um, people who were praying every service. I had two or three people. Separate room, yeah, we had. Yeah, Um, and that's how it started. But it became officially a prayer ministry when we moved up to the, on the Hill. And when it it did that, you began praying. I I remember there was a a treatment center not too far away for for people with addictions. Yes. And we were having... Oh, sometimes as many as 30 or 40 people come up yeah. on our Friday night service from there. And there was a lot of prayer going on with them, but it just, it, 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 it blossomed into something much larger than that. Tell us about that. 
at the end of the service, for, for example, you'd ask them who want to receive, and they'd raise their hands, and uh, we'd be on the back of the the sign. You would you would tell them there's a prayer ministry on the back, and they would come for prayer every every week. And a lot of times, the same guys, same requests, but uh, we get a lot of people came to the prayer ministry uh, teams we had at the different places uh, to to cover those those folks in as well as the regular folks in the church. Yeah. Um, there were actually two places which you could go to get a prayer. One was towards the back of the room, and the other one was uh, towards the front of the room. So, we're, so there were two teams praying over the needs. There was a lot of moving and anointing of the Spirit during those times. And like you were, had mentioned, you know, those who had addictions, it was really neat because you got to really um, lay hands on them um, and feel the moving of the Spirit. And a lot of these young men and women chose to get baptized because of what was happening afterwards. So there, uh, when we would do the baptism, a lot of the uh, people would come up from the addiction center and become baptized. And again, the laying hands on the people as they came out of the baptism. I saw people get anointed just time after time and just give me goosebumps right now talking about it. It's quite the experience. You connect in a way that you know God is with them and you. And there's the connection that I have with them from that point on. So every time I would meet them, it would we would reconnect in the spirit. It, it was it was a really neat experience. And so there were a lot of miracles that happened. A lot of healings. Uh, uh, God, God did some pretty fantastic things. Uh, people finding jobs. Uh, yes. This was... it, it, it was a time of a lot of miracles that was happening, but we didn't make big of it. We just kind of, you know, give God the glory for what he was doing um, and not stand in the front, but stand in the back and allow that person who received their healing, received their job or whatever, allow that to bring glory that it, it was it was easy to do that part of it, yeah. But to be faithful and say to someone, "Well, the Lord's telling me to tell you this," <laughs> and, and, and it's like sometimes they didn't want to hear it, but it was always truthful. Um, there was one time there was this one guy who I think Bonnie and Doug Ho had bought him up, and he had never been to church before. And I got a word for him, the Lord, and it was the Lord is the lifter of your head. And I didn't know it until after Bonnie had called me and he had gone to the doctors and they had found he had an aneurysm in his head and he was not to lift his head. Well, he went back to the doctor the next day on Monday. They x-rayed him and he did no longer have an aneurysm. It was completely gone. So, you know, God God does, it's really neat. The prayer ministry really helped me to connect up with God. Into One of the things that I appreciated and you just said it that we didn't we didn't broadcast and make a big deal yeah. when the miracles happened yeah. because it was kind of characteristic of our church that one of the things that I appreciated and you you just said it that we didn't make a, a real big deal out of the miracles. I, I think it was one of the things that was kind of characteristic of our church is we didn't make a big thing out of the the miraculous. Uh, we made a big thing out of it in terms of teaching and in terms of praying with people. Then we didn't put it up front and make a, a, a big a lot of hoo-hoo over it. And we'd have, have people share their testimonies when we took the offering, that kind of thing. But we wanted to normalize spiritual experience. We wanted it to become uh, seen by the people as, as this is just a part of normal life. That when you prophesy over somebody, 
you, you, you don't get a weird voice on, you know, and all that. You just share, you know, I think the Lord yeah. maybe wanted me to share this with you. And, and right. when somebody is, is healed or there's some, you know, pretty strong miracle in somebody's life, the, the main deal is go tell your friends. We're, we're not going to kind of take credit for it as a church. And I think that was, and you guys, you know, to me, um, you're the epitome of humility in all this. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe and check his blog at ralphmoore.net.